As we get into this message today, I want to invite you to maybe grab a piece of paper, a pen, or a pencil, because at the end of this message, I'm going to give you a bit of opportunity to go into some reflection. Uh, And we're going to be expounding on a topic today that society and the church at large has a hard time with, and that is grief and laws, grief and laws. And so I want to invite you as as much as you can to just be with me for the next 25, 30 minutes uh, to be present. And maybe you want to take notes, but I recognize how easily distracted people can get uh, at home. I want you to be present with me as best as you possibly can over the next few minutes, because uh, what I want to present is some uh, really significant things, especially in light of where we've been for the past six months. Our text today is out of Psalm 25, Psalm 25, beginning in verse 15, verse 15 through verse 17. This is what David says. David says, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. These are the words of David in Psalm 25. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for the gift of technology. Thank you for the body of Christ gathering around this city and even around this nation and this world in this moment. And Lord, I pray that we would be attentive to your spirit as we look uh, and examine an issue of grief and loss, an issue that many of us often try our hardest to avoid. Give us grace now through the power of your Holy Spirit as we hear your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On January 26th of this year, Rosie and I took a trip, an anniversary trip, to Hawaii. And it was our 14th anniversary. We were just excited to be out of the states, the, you know, the mainland here, and to a place that we've never been to before. And on the long flight over, I read books, I watched movies, spoke to Rosie excitedly about the journey that was ahead of us. And what was wonderful about it is on the two flights that we took to Hawaii, there was no turbulence. It was just a wonderful flight for all of those hours. And then we landed. And in less than five minutes after landing, I would experience a different kind of turbulence, a turbulence in my soul, violently shaken by the many text messages I was receiving upon arrival in Hawaii. Turned out that Kobe Bryant had died. And the wind was knocked out of me at that moment. And I turned to Rosie, just muttering the news as best as I can. It's hard to explain, but at that moment, it felt as if a relative had passed away. His daughter and a number of his friends were on a helicopter when it tragically crashed, which crashed around the time that we were flying over California. And in that moment and the days that followed, I was disoriented. I was in shock. I was grieving. And although we thoroughly enjoyed our anniversary trip, 
We traveled throughout the island finding places to eat and beautiful scenes to take in. The backdrop of what was happening in my own psyche was tremendous grief and disorientation. Why did this shake me so much? Well, maybe it's because Kobe and I were the same age. Maybe it's because when I saw pictures of his daughter, it reminded me of my own daughter, and I was just missing her at that moment with this news. Maybe it's because I saw a little bit of myself in him, but I was hurting, and every morning I woke up about four o'clock in the morning, not because I'm a holy Christian, but because there was a big time difference, and I was up at four o'clock every morning, and four o'clock every morning to pray and to journal and to offer to God my profound sadness. And slowly, I began to just move on. And then in March, we were visited by a pandemic, and we began to see loss after loss after loss after loss. I live two miles from Emhosh Hospital, and I would routinely hear uh, the blaring sirens and, of ambulances screaming throughout Queens Boulevard. And the sound was so constant that after a number of days, I didn't hear the sirens any longer, not because they were not screaming through the boulevard, but because it became just the ongoing backdrop of living in Queens at that moment. Much like people don't hear the sound of church bells that ring often many times a day, I was not hearing the sirens of ambulances because it just became part of the backdrop. I found myself constantly on the phone praying with congregants who had lost loved ones. At the same time, I was anxiously washing my hands like I've never washed my hands before. Overnight, it seemed as if the world had changed. But 2020 didn't stop at that point. It kept going. And soon after, our society would continue to be into, go into greater disorientation. Soon after, George Floyd would be murdered, and it seemed as if we were all losing our way at that moment. What do you do when loss comes your way? How do you respond when loss comes your way. As a society, we have experienced a profound level of loss. We are in a collective dark night of the soul. There's been loss of life, loss of land. Think about the wildfires in California that are burning at this very moment. Loss of control, loss of our heroes like Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther. Loss of jobs, loss of financial security, loss of family members, loss of health. Loss of friendships due to political hostility and racial apathy. The loss of school as we know it, the loss of graduation ceremonies, the loss of wedding ceremonies, the loss of birthday party celebrations, the loss of marriages, the loss of a carefree mentality. A couple of weeks ago, I, I took Nathan to the supermarket for the first time in about six months. He was having a bit of a day, and Rosie said, take him with you. And so I took him with me, got to the supermarket, and I put him on the, on the cart for, to, for him to sit there. He's a bit too big. It says 35 pounds. I was like, you're going to sit here anyway. And so I put him in there, and I noticed immediately that my son did not touch the bar of the grocery shopping cart. 
His hands were like this the whole time. And I thought to myself, this is either a precocious and conscientious six-year-old, because what six-year-old is just like this the whole time, or this six-year-old is feeling the anxiety that he's been overhearing in the home about touching stuff. But I saw at that moment, this six-year-old was too self-conscious at that moment. We've lost this sense of a carefree mentality. We've experienced all kinds of laws, from the catastrophic to uh, the simple inconveniences that we have known to take for granted, and everything in between. Even this past week, there's been loss in our own family, the, the loss of our family dog, Blue, our beloved chocolate lab. This dog was, uh, lived with my in-laws, and I would see this dog often multiple times a week. And this past Thursday, he passed away, missing the joy that he brought to our family, to our home. Whether it's catastrophic or whether it's just inconvenience or whether it's something in between, there's significant loss. How do you respond to loss? This is one of the most important questions we have to wrestle with if we're going to be followers of Jesus. How do you respond to loss? And this is what I want to say very simply, that grieving our losses is intrinsically connected to our growth in God. Grieving our losses is intrinsically connected to our growth in God. And it is here where I want to look at Psalm 25. The Psalms is the prayer book for the people of God. And one third of the Psalms are Psalms of grief and Psalms of lament. And what you'll find in the book of Psalms is this expansive range of human emotion and human experience. What makes the Psalm so great is that it is language of human experience that has been converted into worship and converted into prayer before the living God. And this is what we see in Psalm 25, beginning in verse 16. David cries out with human emotion and the range of human experience by saying, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look at those four words. Lonely, afflicted, troubles, anguish. If there were any words that would describe 2020, it's those four words. Lonely, afflicted, troubles, anguish. What I find so encouraging about David in the Psalms is that David names it. Names what's happening in his soul, even if it's just to himself. He names it and offers it to God. And just the naming of it is a profound thing that we can do to experience freedom and liberation and healing just to name it. And yet it's often so hard just to name what we've lost. Early on in my uh, Christian journey, some 21 years ago, I would begin to journal my prayers. I learned about journaling. I said, you know what? I, I bought a book and I started journaling my prayers. And if you read my early journal entries when I first became a Christian, and a little bit after that, you would think that I was living my best life ever. Because all of my journal entries were like about faith. And all of my journal entries were about rejoicing. And you would not see the difficult language of David here of lonely, afflicted, troubles, anguish. 
If I was lonely, I would say, uh, Lord, I thank you for being with me always. If I was angry, I wouldn't write, I'm angry. I'd write, Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. I had a hard time just naming the difficult realities of human existence. Why? For a couple of reasons. Number one, I thought that if I were to write some of these things down, that meant that I lacked faith. If I were to name the troubles of my soul, if I were to name the doubts in my mind, I would think that meant I lacked faith. But the second reason that I didn't write my journals out and write my prayers out honestly was because I didn't want anyone to find my journal and to think that I lacked faith. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, you you don't have a journal because you don't want people to find out what's really happening in your soul. And so you say, I'm not even going to journal or I'm going to just talk about all the good stuff. But I learned a few years later to offer my heart before God honestly. I began to understand the book of Psalms in a new way. That the Psalms are a collection of songs that give expression to the range of human existence and the range of human emotion. David offers his grief and disorientation to God. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't rationalize it. He doesn't deny it. He offers it to the living God. Lord, I'm lonely. Lord, I'm afflicted. Lord, I'm experiencing trouble. Lord, I'm experiencing anguish. And yet this is not how we typically live. We have various strategies to deal with our grief, to deal with our loss. And it's often the case that we are facing multiple forces that keep us from being honest and lamenting and grieving the losses that come our way. There are at least four different kinds of layers that we have to deal with, whether they're layers of culture, church, family, or personality. These four things have a way of Keeping us from being honest, keeping us from grieving our losses, keeping us from lamenting before the living God. We live in a culture that says, move on, go to the next thing. It's interesting, just uh, earlier this week, it, it just dawned on me that every time I turn on the news, it's breaking news. And I would discover that some of the breaking news broke six hours before, but they're still saying breaking news, as if to say, pay attention, don't leave the screen, focus on what's happening here, and then they'll move on to the next breaking news. We live in a culture that does not know how to stop at all. And so in one moment, we're looking at wildfires. In another moment, we're looking at police brutality. In another moment, we're looking at COVID-19. In another moment, and one thing to the next, we can't even stop to breathe, let alone grieve. The culture moves from one thing to the next. Or we are part of a, a, a church which becomes a force that keeps us from grieving our losses. There are plenty of churches that have theology that, that says if any pr trouble comes your way, just praise God through it. Rejoice through it. And, and yes, Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But the same Bible that, that says rejoice always has a book called Lamentations as well. And this is the paradox that we have to hold on to. Do we rejoice or do we lament? The answer is yes. 
And we hold these two in dynamic tension with each other. But it's often difficult to be in churches because you don't have permission to be human. But it's not just the church, it's our families, our families of origin. For some of you watching, you came from families that did not give you permission to feel difficult emotions. You didn't have permission to be sad in your home. You didn't have permission to be angry in your home. You didn't have permission to feel anxiety in your home. And anytime sadness or anger or anxiety came to the surface, it was punched down like you're at the carnival and the head comes out and the hammer just push, push, push it right back down. And you have not had the freedom to be a human being. Or the force is just our own personality. We're optimistic. We, our personality is given towards just moving on to the next thing. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, uh, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. My besetting uh, sin and struggle is about pain avoidance. And so preaching a message like this is often very difficult for me because my, my predisposition is to just avoid and go to the next thing and look at all the positive things happening in the world. And yet, part of my soul goes missing and unaddressed. Make no mistake about it. We all grieve in different times and in different ways, but we all grieve. And our grief need not be done without God. Grief manifests in so many ways, doesn't it? In sadness, in depression, in anger, in control, in busyness, in rage, in our addictions. The question is not whether we're grieving or not. The question is, is the way you're grieving leading you to God or leading you into greater layers of bondage? This is what I mean. Throughout the course of this pandemic, we've been grieving. And most of the time, our grief comes out in the form of addictions. Because addictions, whether it is eating or shopping or pornography, is a way that we try to soothe our pain, soothe ourselves. And the challenge with this is, in our attempt to soothe our pain and soothe ourselves, we find ourselves in deeper layers of bondage because God is no longer part of our soothing. We are self-soothing in ways that often lead to further layers and deeper layers of bondage. But God says, why don't you turn your grief to me? Let me be a part of your grief because God is near. This is what David gets at. In, the, in writing this psalm, David reminds us that God is eager to join us in our grief. And so when David writes these songs, he's not just talking about his need for God. He's also recognizing God's nearness. God, you're near to me. And so I'm going to grieve my losses and offer that on to you. God is near. And not only God, as God is near, God ventures and longs to join us in our grief. I think about the words of this German theologian, Andreas Ebert. And he said these words here. He says, many avoid the path of self-knowledge, what I'm talking about grief today, because they are afraid of being swallowed up in their own abysses. 
But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life and that he goes with us when we dare to engage in such confrontation with ourselves. Isn't that the case for many of us? We don't want to face reality because we believe I'm going to be swallowed up if I do so. But the good news of Christianity is we worship a God who's been through the darkest and deepest abyss and longs to go with us when we dare to confront and this kind, dare to engage in this kind of self-confrontation. God says, I'll go with you. Earlier this uh, summer, I went on a uh, trip with my family and my brother's family, and we rented out a house in Jersey. And when we got to the house, a beautiful house, uh, we went into the bathroom. My son Nathan went into the bathroom and noticed a big spider. And it was a big spider. I, I was like, come on, it's a spider. I said, oh, that's a big spider. And so I went into the bathroom. I said, uh, uh, it's all right. It's a high ceiling. Do what you have to do. He did what he had to do. We got home. And he said, Daddy, can you come with me to the bathroom? I, I said, we're home. You know exactly where the bathroom is. He goes, no, no, can you come with me to the bathroom? And, and the reason he wanted me to come with him to the bathroom because he thought there, there, there were spiders there. I said, son, there's, there, there's no spiders there. I said, we got some other problems, but, but, but there's no spiders there. It's, it's all good. He said, no, come with me anyway. And I started going with him to the bathroom. And he was like, thank you for just coming with me. And I, then I read that story and that quote earlier this week. And I thought, yeah, Christ joins us. He comes with us. Even in the dark moments, he joins us. Christ has been through the deepest abyss of human existence, and he joins us. And so if Christ joins us, if Christ is with us, how do we learn to grieve and grieve well? I want to offer a few learnings about grief. And this is from my own life, as, a, as my life as a pastor, as a student, from what I observed. I want to offer a few truths about grief that will help us as we navigate what has been only six months. It's, it feels like 10 years, doesn't it? But it's been six months of loss after loss. How do we grieve well? I want to offer a few words. First of all, I want to say this, that grieving takes time. Grieving takes time. There's a story about the renowned uh, Belgian psychologist, Antoon Vergote, who, and he was asked this question, when you lose a loved one, either through death or because a person dies to you in some other way, what can you do? What can you say to someone in that situation? And this is what he cautiously responded with these words. He says, when someone is grieving a deep loss, there is a period of time when psychology finds itself rather helpless. The pain of death or the pain of losing a deep relationship can trigger a paralysis that is not easy to reach into and dissolve. Psychology admits its limits here. He continues. Go to the next slide for me. He says, sometimes I think that the poets and novelists are of more use in this than is psychology. But even there, they can offer some insight, but I am not sure anyone can do much to take away the pain. There are some things in life before which we simply stand helpless. Some of you, you've lost 
significant people and things in your life this year. And the truth about grief is that sometimes you're just paralyzed. Sometimes you're just helpless. Sometimes you can't even move. And I mention this because for some of you, you're paralyzed. For some of us, you feel numb. And you might be wondering, what is wrong with me? And I want to tell you this, nothing is wrong with you. You're a human being grieving losses that were near and dear to your heart. There's nothing wrong with you. I know you're paralyzed. I know you're numb. But there's nothing wrong with you. You are a human being experiencing profound loss. And it's important to name that. And it's important to say that. Because on on top of the grief that we experience, then we have the shame of how we respond to the grief. But there's nothing wrong. You're a human being caught up in great grief because of what's been lost, has been so dear to your heart. Grieving takes time. Another way of saying is that that, that grieving is not, secondly, a one-time act. That it's repeated often throughout a lifetime. And the, the, the intensity of it might vary from time to time and as you grow. But grieving is something that's done over and over and over again. And I say that because there's some theologies and some spiritualities that say, why haven't you moved on yet? And the reason many of us haven't moved on is because, again, we're a human being trying to do the best that we can do. And grief is not a one-time thing. Sometimes it needs to be repeated over and over and deeper and deeper. And in the process, yes, we'll find the healing of God, but it requires us to look at it over and grieve it over and over and over again. The third thing about grief I want to mention is that uh, grief gives us permission to feel, and God gives you permission to feel. Faith and and feelings are, are not contradictory. They're not mutually exclusive. They're not polar opposites. They are to they are to be held together in dynamic tension with each other. And it's often the case that we don't feel we have permission to feel, permission to be sad, permission to cry. Permission to be angry. But God gives you permission. And we see this in the Psalms. God gives you permission to be human. And grief often is about feeling and giving us permission to feel. Fourth, I want to remind you that that grief often requires community. It often requires community. Maybe most often requires community. I think about Jesus a lot when I think about grief and loss. And Jesus in his most vulnerable moment when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. He was anxious. And he was fearful. And he goes to the garden with his disciples and he's honest enough to, to confess his need for community. The son of the living God. The second member of the Trinity says, I need community. I'm in pain. I'm in anguish. Look at Jesus' words himself. In Matthew 26, this is what it says. 
Then Jesus went his, with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then listen to how vulnerable these words are. Stay here and keep watch with me. Hear hear the vulnerability in Jesus. Could you stay here? I need your support. I need your help. When's the last time you were honest enough in your grief to tell someone, could you stay here? Could you keep watch with me? I, I don't want to be alone. Could you sit next to me? Could you hold my hand? Could you put your arm around me? Could you pray for me? Stay with me. Keep watch with me. When's the last time in your own of grief and vulnerability you've offered those words? This is the son of the living God saying, stay with me. Keep watch with me. Grieving requires community. This is why we're the body of Christ. No one should be walking in their grief alone. We want to invite you into community. But here's the last thing I want to remind you of, and then I want to give us a couple of minutes to actually practice this. Grieving takes time. It's not a one-time act. It gives us permission to feel. It often requires community. But Christian grieving reminds us that God joins us in our grief. God joins us in our grief. I'm reminded of a story of the Latin American theologian Ruth Padilla divorced. In 1997, while she and her husband were in Ecuador, three men carjacked her family and shot and killed her husband. She and her two children, four and almost two, survived the attack. She was eight months pregnant with her third child at the time. And during the period of immense grief and loss that would follow, she became deeply aware of the brokenness of the world and the reality of of God's presence in the darkest days. And this is what she says. She said, I always had this idea that God cares about us, that God is compassionate, but in that moment, I realized how much God had taken on suffering himself. It wasn't just that God was looking down and saying, oh, poor Ruth, I want to comfort her, but that God actually suffered in the suffering of my husband's broken body and my broken heart. That began a much deeper encounter with God for myself, seeing how God had entered into our pain and the messiness of our world in Christ. God grieves with us, joins us. And we look to Jesus who will one day conquer all sin, conquer all evil, conquer all grief. We await that day and we trust that one day, this is the hope of our faith, one day all of this will vanquish. 
And until it does, be encouraged that God is near, that God weeps when you weep, that God is wounded when you are wounded. We see this most profoundly through Jesus Christ and that God goes with you in these particular moments. What I want to do in this moment is give you space, give you space to begin to practice grief and grieving our losses. And I'm going to give you three minutes, and for some of you, three minutes is going to feel way too long, and for some of you, three minutes is going to feel way too short. And so I want to encourage you throughout the course of this week to take more time. Some of you might need 20 minutes later on this week to to go into practice that I'm going to lead you in right now. But as God leads you, let's begin to pay attention to our losses and offer them to the living God, recognizing that God is with us. I want to invite you to take out maybe a pen or pencil or something along those lines. Or if you're watching on your maybe laptop, maybe if you have your phone, feel free to take out your phone. And I want to give you three minutes to respond to these three questions. What are the losses you've experienced in 2020? Can you name them? What would you like to say to God? What are the words that come out? What do you want to say to God in light of this? Or maybe you want to take three minutes with these two questions to write your own psalm of grief and loss, knowing that God is near. I'm going to give you three minutes and then I'll pray and we'll close our service. But let me pray for us before we do. Lord, I thank you for the community, even though we're not even gathered in the same room, we're gathered in spirit. And so may may this act of community strengthen us and give us courage to name, to feel, not to avoid, but to carry our grief to you, the living God, who journeys with us, who heals us, who offers us hope. We offer the next three minutes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the next three minutes and then I will close our time in prayer.
Amen. Our eyes are ever on the Lord, for only God will release our feet from the snare. Turn to us and be gracious to us, for we are lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of our hearts and free us from our anguish. Look on our affliction and our distress and take away all our sins. Let's just end our time with singing that chorus that it is well. And the mystery of that song, it comes out of profound grief and loss. And yet these are songs of great hope. Maybe in your living room, wherever you're at, just stand and let's sing this chorus together. Amen. We want to support you on your journey. We're going to end the service here, but as a reminder, we have our a prayer uh, link available on our Zoom. If you want to just pray with someone, again, these six months can feel like five, ten years in terms of what's been compressed over the past number of months, the pain, the loss, the grief. So if you need someone to pray for or to pray with, uh, click on that link on our website or in the Facebook link there as well. Our pastors will be here to connect with you in our Zoom lobby. So feel free to take advantage of that. And there's some of you who you're watching, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never trusted him as Lord and Savior. You've never poured out your soul to him and asked him to heal and forgive you. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that. On our uh, screen here, you can text yes uh, to Jesus if you feel like God's calling you to be in relationship with him. 
And you can text us that number of one of our pastors. We'll be in touch with you. But if you sense God pulling you, drawing you something, you, can, you don't even know how to explain it, but you sense something drawing you into relationship with God, uh, we want to help you. We want to serve you along those lines. And so feel free to text yes to Jesus to that number, and we'd love to be in touch with you. As we close, I want to invite you where you're at to open your hands towards heaven. A reminder that we're going to gather in person next week, and we need you to register for that. Uh, and so I look forward to seeing a number of you uh, next week in our time of worship here. And for many of you, I'll see some of you at our newcomers gathering this Tuesday evening. But with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, taking your grief to God. And may God give you grace and mercy and strength and healing and hope as you wait on him. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the healing name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all. See you uh, next Sunday.